Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. To conclude the first season of Cult Talk, I'll be talking to cult expert and survivor advocate Diane Benskoder. In the 70s, Diane joined the Moonies at age 17, and she stayed in it for five years. Afterwards, she became a culty programmer for a short time, something that she was actually arrested for. And now she's a cult expert who advocates for survivors of cults via videos, presentations, podcasts. She's even founding a new project called the Antidote Program. Diane published a memoir of her time in the Moonies entitled Shoes of a Servant, My Unconditional Devotion to a Lie. It's a fantastic recounting of what it's like to actually be in an oppressive group and what it takes to get out. She's done TED Talks on how cults rewire your brain. She's created an Own Your Brain video series on her YouTube channel. You can check out the show notes for this episode and the next one to look at all of Diane's work. Today, Diane joins us to wrap up season one of Cult Talk by sharing a bit of her own story, but more importantly, offering hope to those who are finding their way out of oppressive groups and looking for ways to heal. Here's part two of my two-part interview with cult expert, Diane Benskoder. You actually were deprogrammed, I'm doing air quotes here, or at least deprogrammers met with you long after this. So that incident didn't cause you to leave. As you, as you mentioned, you actually felt forgiven and reinvigorated, you know, after that traumatic event and them saying you could still receive the blessing. But you did get to a point where you were worn down, as you describe it, worn down with the fundraising, not sure, you know, how you could go on. And your parents kind of sprung these deprogrammers on you. Can you describe how that went? Because that doesn't always go well, as you know, from both sides of it. Yeah. Um, I often think of it as like there's this circular logic that is uh, almost impenetrable in the sense that you believe that everything revolves around the fact that God is is leading the way and that you are, you should just follow blindly and, and anything that happens, you can justify and anything that happens, you can put into a framework of the doctrine. But you see that that is not always in every day proving true when you're in the environment. There's things that like leaders that seem corrupt or leaders that you're supposed to follow in the hierarchy that you 
can see that they are not doing what you think a person of God should do. And so there's cracks that happen in that circular logic. And so it's oftentimes not enough to leave, but there is a little question mark or there's a, a little bit of rebellion or you start trying to think about how can I still be true to the doctrine but not have to live this enslaved life or there must be more I could do for God without having to be in this such a uncomfortable lifestyle. Right. And, and so what happened with me is that I had kind of rebelled a bit and I had made a case for going to school, but the cognitive dissonance was so great that the meaning that I, I couldn't live in the world and believe what I believed. It just wasn't working for me. So I decided to repent and go back to the inner circle. And that's when my, my mother had found some former members of the group to come and talk to me. And usually a former member who really has come to understand what happened to them is the most effective way to help someone leave. Absolutely. I agree yeah. with that. It's almost like uh, you need a, a sober alcoholic to talk to a using exactly. alcoholic. Yeah. You need someone yeah, who perfect. knows what it's like. Yes, that's a perfect yeah. example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can't argue, you can't fake it with them. They've been there. Exactly. And <laughs> they, they know and so, the drill. Yes. Yeah. And so this woman who was a former member came to talk to me and it was unexpected. My parents came to visit and then they, this woman came and I was introduced to her and I thought, well, okay, fine. I'll talk to her. I can probably bring her back into the fold. I felt very confident, <laughs> right. I believe. And, but what happened is she started making a lot of sense. And that's very she, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She started to, to talk about the holes in the doctrine and ways that the doctrine was historically wrong. The Unification Church, there's, their doctrine was based on a lot of historical moments in time and also pulled from the Bible. So she started ripping that apart and pointing out how it wasn't, it didn't stand up from a scholarly perspective. And I just thought, well, I could answer this except that I've spent most of my time fundraising and I'm not a scholar of the divine principle, which was the teaching of moon. And so I kept wanting to like, you know, call a friend, call somebody in the group to answer the questions. But then when she started talking about psychological manipulation and what is brainwashing and breaking that down bite by bite, and I started not being able to make a case for it anymore, all of a sudden I started to hear this little voice in the back of my head that was started as a whisper and got stronger and louder that what if this whole thing was a lie? That question had never occurred to me before. What if this whole thing is a lie? Once I started allowing that question to exist in my mind, it became this horrible, horrible feeling. And at some point, I couldn't deny it anymore. And it, I honestly thought I heard glass breaking around me. I it, I could see my world crumbling around me, and it was the most devastating moment. I, I lost everything in one moment. I suddenly, what if he's not the Messiah? What if this whole thing is a lie? What does that mean? Right. 
What, what does it mean for who you are? And what does it mean for what you've done for all of that time? You know, that's really hard to accept for anyone yeah. who's in one of these groups or anyone who's in an abusive relationship. You know, if we take it down to the personal one-on-one -on -one level, that's a hard moment. Absolutely. It's, it's devastating to have to start over and to have to look back and think that, and especially when you've dedicated your heart and soul, it's, it's one thing if you've taken a job and it works out to be not what you thought it was and you have to think, okay, now I have to look for a new job. But when you've given your heart and soul, that's, that's devastating. And like you say, with an abusive relationship, when you, you think you love this person, this person is your salvation, they're your true love, and then they start hitting you. But you still think, oh, well, but they still love me and I still need them. And But at some point, when you realize you have to run away and hide and you have to get out of there, it, it's really hard to start over once that kind of a rape of the soul has happened. You talk in the book and you just mentioned how this deprogrammer, or at least one of them was talking to you a lot about brainwashing. Can you explain that? What people, people say it over and over again, oh, cults brainwash you, or maybe just the underlying tenets of all cults. What are some of those pillars? There was a book by Robert Lifton called Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. Yes. In that book, what he did, he studied Chinese prison camps and why people were converting, and and he began to break it down of what are the elements that are within thought reform or psychological manipulation, brainwashing. And the way he described it was that to the degree that these elements are in an environment and then to the degree that a person is vulnerable and needs a hole in their life to be filled, so to speak, you can kind of scale that and see how much a person is under the influence. So if a person is pretty strong and confident in themselves and goes to a meeting, uh, you know, the same meeting I went to or went on that same walk I went on, they might, they might have thought this is bunch of crap and walked away. Right. But I was vulnerable. I needed a solution to life's hard questions. I needed it wrapped up in a bow. But the elements of that are usually found in an environment are, I think one of the first ones to think of as good and evil is that there's an us and a them. If you can convince someone that there's this evil force and that there's an us in them, that's one of the important psychological elements. And then if the doctrine becomes more important than the individual, like I was describing earlier, that if you can get someone to believe that their thinking is not as good as the thinking of someone else or the doctrine itself, that so that you can put away your logic, you need to get people to discount logic. Yes. Yes. And not uh, discount trusting their gut even. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so you need to be able to control their relationship, not only with the world at large and how they view everything that's going on in the world through the doctrine, but also the internal voices in a person. So you have to control the conversation that goes on inside the mind of a person. And so, so that they filter themselves. So if they start to doubt, they will be their own police and say, that's just because that's your sinfulness. That's Satan or whatever word the group uses. Right. So you start being your own disciplinarian from using that internal 
police. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because you don't even need someone standing over you spewing the doctrine at you. It becomes something you do to yourself. You become your yes. own prison guard. It's self-perpetuating. Yeah. And, and because you believe it so strongly, it becomes important to bring others in because you want more reinforcement and you look to the group for reinforcement. And oftentimes a group like this will kind of have their own language that has special meaning just to them. Yep. It's almost like coded language. So when certain words or phrases are used, they basically stop your thinking. Right. They they trigger something in you. There's a certain language internal to the group that when you hear these words or you hear these phrases of doctrine, that it sort of stops you in your tracks. That was completely true of my parents' group, the Kobu. They use terms like backsliding and yeah. um, of the world and, you know, so many phrases, hundreds and hundreds of phrases. And it was like, yeah, a code that would kind of cut you off at the knees if you tried to argue something, or even if you yeah. had a thought, even if you just had a private thought. That's right. And it, so you, when you control a person's language, that's a really important psychological element. And the idea is to stop thought, is to have something that really, it just means good or bad. A lot of these phrases just mean good or bad, like some of the words you just used were similar to words that we used in the group that would, if if you had a chapter two problem, basically chapter two in the divine principle was the fall of man and had to do with the sexual thing that happened between Adam and Eve prematurely. And so if you have a chapter two problem, that means that you might be attracted to someone or you're having sexual thoughts or something. It's just... All you know is it's bad and you should go pound your head against a cement wall. That, that would be better than letting those thoughts continue in your head. Right. And you have to buy into that as a group. Yeah. And so people can use these words. And not only does it make you feel like you're more, you have comrades around you that they're like special forces with the secret understanding of the world. But, <laughs> but it also makes the rest of the world not understand. You know, the problem is they just don't understand what we do. If they did, they would, of course, be with us. It's just that, you know, they aren't as prepared by God to understand this great truth. Right. And that, that really speaks to how all cult leaders kind of run their groups. They have this air of superiority by isolationism, whereas you feel like you are yeah, in the know on the side of right if you're in it. And so you almost feel bad. For those who aren't, you know, why would you ever want to leave? Because then you'd be one of them and they're lower. Yes. And if to leave is really, it's worse than if you had never joined. Right. Because, because you know the truth now and then you're leaving the truth. That's right. So when you actually ended up leaving, you realize everything was a lie. It's very hard to go on after that. And you referred to something in one of your videos. Um, I've been watching your YouTube videos on Own Your Brain, that your channel, and I've subscribed to it. And I'm going to link all that up in the show notes to wonderful videos that explain Thank brainwashing. You. Yeah, this idea of viral mimetic infection. You talk about cult jumping, which is a term that I haven't heard before, but it is so common when people leave cults or extreme groups or even relationships. Can you describe that and how your small stint as a deprogrammer 
was kind of an example of cult jumping? You know, it's a really important aspect, and I'm glad you brought it up. I just went over a minute ago how devastated I was when I realized that Moon was not the Messiah and maybe this whole thing was a lie. Yeah. When you look at psychological vulnerability as a place where you are most likely to fall prey to some sort of an easy answer to life's hard questions. When you first leave a group, you are highly vulnerable yet again. And if you have not really come to understand what has happened to you, you're very likely to look for something else that will fill that void. And somebody else will be able to explain to you that, I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's just, that is a whatever word they use, a antichrist, or that's, that is an evil group that is trying to pretend to be right. We're right. Now you've found the true right. Right. <laughs> and so that's why it's so important when people make the decision to leave to have the resources they need to get into counseling and the counselors need to understand psychological manipulation. So that's a huge need that I'm actually working on creating an organization that will provide support and services for people that are leaving extremist groups of all kinds so that they can get the help they need to understand what happened to them and to be in a more empowered position and to have more of an internal structure so that they won't be taken advantage of again. That's such important work. Is that the antidote program that you Yes, okay. that's antidote. Okay. Yes. And so the uh, the second part of your question had to do with my journey and getting into deprogramming. Yeah. And in a sense, I think you're right, Erin, is that I I really was lost in my world yet again. Much like I was when I joined the group, I was lost again, only in a way even more devastated. I kind of jumped on the anti-cult scene and it was, there were deprogramming was going on then. It was like an underground railroad. And so I kind of became a bit fanatical about wanting to pull people out. Fortunately, I worked in a rehab house for a while where there was lots of counseling and lots of uh, being able to see people from other groups. And so I was able to understand a little bit more than some people. But that was, you're right, I think that I became kind of fanatical about the anti-cult work as a way to fill that need in myself. I think that's so common just to just to move on. Like you said, you're in this really vulnerable place. and Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
if you feel like something else can be where you put your will and your spirit and you're, and you're doing something that will save the world again, but in a different way. And yours was just the exact opposite, you know, moving into anti-cult tactics. It's just, it's very common. It's no surprise, you know, to Even me. Abuse, people that are in abusive relationships will often find another abuser. Yeah, absolutely. Because the pattern is hard to break when you're in that role for so long. Right. And if you haven't done that internal work of of have, of believing in yourself and believing in lo- your own lo- ability to think through things logically and understand critical thinking and how that works, there's there's a lot of skills that you can put in your toolbox when you're recovering from something like this or even to prevent for young people, to, especially those most at risk, to understand things like critical thinking and the ability to, to spot psychological manipulators. Once you have those tools, you're really armed with the ability to move through life without being taken advantage of. But without those tools, when you feel empty, you look for something to fill you up and there's certainly going to be someone there that would love to take advantage of that. And it's not just with religious movements. I love your work because you take a much broader perspective on how mental manipulation and coercion can work. You break it down into these categories like, you know, it could be religious movements. It could be political movements. Terrorism is an example of a really extreme coercive group, fraudulent marketing in the business world and personal relationships as we've been touching on. And I might be missing something, but it's not just a religion sucking a young person in. It can be a myriad of things. So do you, do you think the tools that, that you're working on making people aware of can battle against all of these areas? I think that there's two areas that are really important to work on. And one is prevention. That means reaching out to those who are most at risk with tools that will help them to protect themselves from being taken advantage of. But also, it's important to reach them in a way that they can hear. And so the stories of formers become really important. And then also teaching critical thinking and also listening and creating dialogues with young people to hear what their concerns are and to understand what their needs are and to help them believe more in themselves and have opportunities to be more empowered in their life. So the prevention work is really important. And then having help for people that want to leave and making it known that if someone wants to leave a hate group, you know, white supremacy is really on the rise. And it's it's just the same. It's a doctrine of belief that, you know, people that are are non-Aryan are going to to end the white race. It's just a doctrine like any of them. And so there's an us and a them and there's a belief system and there's a righteousness and the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and your, your comrades at war to fight evil. It's all the same. And, but when someone wants to leave any type of group like this, oftentimes they don't know where to turn. And so that's one of the things that I'm working on is putting together a hotline at where people can call and and families that are concerned about their loved ones 
can call and get resources and support. So I think both of those areas are really important to work in. If someone is under the influence and in that time where they're really strongly believing and when there hasn't really been a crack yet, it's really hard to reach someone. Yeah. So some, it, it, you know, so that's why I'm focusing a lot on those two areas because as a deprogrammer, when I was doing deprogrammings and when people were like, locking up their loved ones and deprogramming them. Sometimes that worked. Sometimes they were able to reach someone, but it really is a illegal to hold right. someone against their will. Right. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's, you know, it's just, it's not very useful. I think right. it's, it's much more effective to be on either end of that and to uh, really put a lot of resources and energy into those two areas of exposing how psychological manipulation works. No one wants to play the fool. Even young people who are desperately lost and feeling lost in their world and feeling bullied and feeling like they don't belong, don't want to wake up one day and be the former person who's describing that they got taken advantage of by this group. Exactly. And so if you have people who they can relate to who are former members who are saying, hey, don't go down this road, you're going to regret it. Even though it sounds appealing, you're going to really hate yourself later if you do this. Absolutely. You know? This is why ex-gang members are the ones who need to talk to young kids before they join a gang. It's not the preacher who's necessarily going to win them over. That's right. Ex-gang members, people, I have a lot of friends who are uh, former skinheads and such, and there, mm -hmm. there's some great work in that area or former members of terrorist groups. It's, um, you know, you don't strap a bomb on your body and detonate because you're an evil person. You do it because you believe very strongly that this is God's will and that this is what God wants and that this is how to, you know, this is an act of total kindness and love. The person who straps the bomb on their and detonates and ends up killing children and innocent people is not born evil. They were totally taken advantage of, and oftentimes that person was the kindest, most giving, most willing to sacrifice their very life. Yeah. So in this antidote program that you're working on and in the TED Talks you've done, you know, how cults rewire the brain, are you trying to reach people about how, like you said, this two-tiered approach, the how to prevent joining a group like this and what to do to help someone or help yourself if you find yourself questioning a group you're in. Is that the work you're focusing on? Yes. Okay. I've, I've done a lot of different things kind of to see what works best. And now uh, after spending many years doing a variety of different things, I feel really strongly that those are the two areas that, that there's a lack of resources and that if we pool together, there's a lot of people doing the work, but I think it's important that we work, all kind of work together and make it very well known that how this works. And so, yes, the prevention work, working with school systems and, and getting former's stories out there in the form of YouTubes or getting some of the heroes of young people, either music or sports heroes or something on board or whatever we can do to put programs together to help educate and be there for 
are those most at risk. And then on the other side, train uh, psychologists and mental health professionals to understand the specific psychological situation of someone leaving a group like this or a situ- uh, any kind of psychological manipulation situation. And then making sure that that it's very well known that if you want to leave, there's resources. And sometimes people even need housing. Sometimes they need a job. Absolutely. But what yeah. do you put on your resume if you've been in a cult for five years? <laughs> exactly. That's why my parents are in that situation, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and you you say you don't want to be this person who was played for a fool. So you try to hide it too. And working through you know therapy or whatever you need to do to let go of the shame sometimes of feeling like you were duped. Yes. There was this group that's been in the news recently, Nexium. Yes. And, you know, a lot of these young women who got involved in that, I mean, the shame that they feel and it's being aired by all kinds of, of news media about the the sex slave issue. And these women are just so devastated and want to run and hide and don't want to be on the front cover of these, you know, National Choir type magazines. But a lot of that story is coming out like that. So yeah, people really need help to build confidence. They need counseling and they also need sometimes practical help to rebuild their life. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're in a total institution, if it's your spiritual leader, all your friends are there, it's your place of employment, it's your housing, it's your clothing, etc. When you leave, you leave with nothing oftentimes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, Diane, you are a wealth of information. I love the work you're doing and I thoroughly enjoyed your book and I would recommend it to anyone who one, you know, wants to know more about your particular journey through the Moonies and out of it again, but just it's such a good description, a boots on the ground description of how cults work. So I will lead everyone to your websites to follow you on YouTube and to your talks that you've done. And I'll link up your book in the show notes as well. Thank but, you so much. Aaron. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. This is the last episode of season one. Be sure to join us for season two of Cult Talk, which will be coming later this year. Until then, you can join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk. Thanks for listening to season one of Cult Talk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.